All right, everybody. Achtung, attention, Achtung. All right. Uh, some, some asked a question uh, about um, Becca Girak, the young lady. She is uh, fine. They, they didn't really detect any evidence of a seizure. So the best guess now is just a passing out. Some of, let me tell you this. Some of you can get along without eating breakfast. Some of you can't. Know yourself. Who said that? Know thyself. Who said that? Well, anyway. Know thyself. You know, some of us are camels. We got enough energy and everything stored up that we can, some of us are more camels than others. Uh, but, so know thyself. If, if you need to eat, eat. Because there's nothing like the effect of the liturgy and then the pastor's preaching to slay you and cause you to fall over. It's happened many times. Yeah, a guy, a guy fell out of the uh, window down dead. Don't do that. Socrates, yes, know thyself. Ah, uh, the, the glories of the internet. <laughs> so she seems, to be, she seems to be doing fine, but generally, this has happened before. We've had collapsings in church. Oh, my father-in-law. And then, uh, yeah, so I've got a pretty good sense of when it's... Um, more life-threatening than others. So you'll know when you see me uh, pole vault over the communion rail that it's judged to be in that category. If not, you know, like with Chuck, just leave him on the floor, he'll be fine. <laughs> it's happened before, it'll happen again. That was a medication issue. My favorite thing about that is he who does not like heights had the same episode happen on board ship out in the Gulf of Mexico. They had to airlift him off in a helicopter, twirly. So he doesn't like heights and he gets vertigo and the thing is in a basket above the ocean. I, I confess, it made me laugh. <laughs> All right, because what you have to do with life, right? Isn't that right? Okay. Our psalm for the, for the week is number two, and we'll pray the psalm, and I'll have a few comments afterwards. The, the verse for the week is Romans 6, 23, and we'll sing stanzas one and four of this great Paul Gerhardt hymn, number 596, on baptism. So, let us pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.
I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why do the nations rage? And the peoples plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. Against the Lord and against the anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart. And cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. Then he will speak to them in his wrath. And terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king. On Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage. And the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. And rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Psalm 2 is strongly a messianic psalm. Asking the rhetorical questions, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? Now, the raging of the nations and the plots of the people are schemes designed to destroy Christ and the Christian faith. Why do they do this? Because they reject the gospel. Uh, Today, in our modern world, the woke ideology, which is a social Marxism and totalitarianism, has as one of its main objectives to destroy the church. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? Now, those last two words are very important. Why? If they plot in vain... There's not going to be anything that they can do about it. They cannot succeed. Okay? Which doesn't mean we don't confess, we don't teach the truth. We do. There will be those that will succumb to the lies and the falsehood. There are. But we confess and speak the truth. 
in love, but we speak the truth. Those who hold fast to Christ and his word have nothing to fear from those who plot in vain to destroy Christ and the gospel. That's the first thing. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. That's what the kings of the earth, the rulers say. They want to burst the bonds. You think about the order, design, goodness of God's creation, which is redeemed in Christ. The unbelieving world considers it to be a constraint not allowing us to achieve our full potential. So they say, let us break their bonds, the bonds of the church, the assertions of God's word. Let us break their bonds apart and cast away their, their cords that shackle us down. You know, you don't want to be a woman. Be what you want to be, right? Okay. Um, he who sits in the heavens... Shudders in fear? No, laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. The last laugh will be God's laugh against those who plot in vain to destroy the gospel of Christ and the truth of God's word, which includes the order of his creation and so forth. Where are, where are the likes of Joseph Stalin today? In the, that's correct. How about, how about the mustache man, Adolf Hitler? Yeah, same place. Mao Zedong? Okay. And others are going there, you know, the short guy from Russia. Putin. Putin will soon be putted off the stage. But there is one king who lives, res resurrected from the grave never to die again. He is the keys of the kingdom. For the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever, King of kings and Lord of lords. I'm surprised that piece of music isn't banned. Well, give it time. Okay. Um, <clears throat> then, then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury. Now, he is speaking to the kings of the earth that war against Christ and the church, saying, and this is God the Father speaking, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. So that's God the Father speaking. Who is the Father's king whom he has seated on Zion, on his holy hill? Christ, the Son of God. I will tell of the decree, now this is Jesus' reply, the Lord, God the Father, said to me, you are my son. Today I've begotten you. Isn't that cool? You have conversation from the persons of the Trinity here, the Father speaking, as for me, I've set my king on my holy hill, and the son, I will tell of the decree spoken by the Father to him, the Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Then the father says, ask of me, I'll make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Okay, father, make the ends of the earth my possession, the nations my heritage. Okay? And then the father says, you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. 
So the Father gives to the Son the authority. Remember how he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me? To do what? To break with the rod of iron and to dash in pieces like a potter's vessel those who have rejected Christ and the atonement. Okay? This, this prediction of wrath poured out against the enemies. This is not wrath against the weaknesses that we all experience as sinful flesh in our striving to be faithful. This is the sin of wholesale rejection of the atonement of Christ. And why do I keep mentioning that? Because St. Paul said, when I came among you, I determined to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. All of theology is comprehended and understood through the sacrifice of the Son of God in human flesh to redeem the world, to make atonement for sin. There's only one thing, or the one thing, let me pray it this way, the one thing that hacks God off more than anything else is if you despise the sacrifice of his son. Okay? That's it. So, now therefore, O kings, be wise. And be warned, O rulers of the earth. Now, in that quote, passage I quoted from St. Paul, God's wisdom is described as the wisdom of the what? Just gave you the great hint. The wisdom of the cross. Foolishness to the world. Absurdity. But for us, it is the power of God unto salvation. Therefore, be wise, O kings. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled against those who reject the atonement of Christ. Another great scene in the Passion of the Christ is when it's this kinsman-redeemer theme. Jesus is suspended on the cross, naked really, naked feet. He's bleeding there. Blood is dripping down that Mary, his mother, comes and kisses his feet, blood all over her face, the blood of the Son of God offered up in atonement for sin. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. Blessed are all who take refuge in him whose atoning sacrifice is the righteousness of God in which we hide. Like the hymn, Rock of ages, cleft, broken open, the blood and water for me. Cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood be for me the highest good. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. It's really a great psalm. It's in Handel's Messiah. Well, I'm not going to try to sing it. I can't. Okay. <laughs> All right, let us, let us pray. O oh Lord, we give thanks to you that you laugh at your enemies and have promised to judge all those who persecute your son and his church. <clears throat> Forgive us for doubting your gracious care of the church. Teach us to believe that through the church's suffering for Jesus' sake, we bear witness to him. Give us confident faith to laugh at the enemies of the gospel and to entrust the church's preservation to your sure and certain promises. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, 
one God, now and forever. Amen. And so as not to neglect uh, Mark, let us sing our hymn now. Hymn 596, stanzas one and four. All of these six stanzas are super rich. Mr. Benjamin Volkortsen came to me this morning and said, you know, the, the goal for the week is to learn by heart stanzas one and four. And he says, I want to sing all six stanzas of the hymn, which he did. But memorization is too hard, and we should not expect children ever to do it. Now that is making a point by speaking the opposite. All Christians who have been baptized, who know the God of heaven, and in whose daily life is prized the name of Christ once given, consider now what God has done, the gifts he gives to everyone. Baptized into Christ Jesus. In baptism we now put on Christ. Our shame is fully covered. With all that he once sacrificed. Then freely for us suffered. For here the flood of his own blood. Now makes us holy, right, and good before our Heavenly Father. All right, Mark chapter 2. Okay, last week we uh, talked about Jesus as the bridegroom. That questioning of fasting, why don't your disciples fast? Even John the Baptist's disciples fast. Why don't your disciples fast? Well, the bridegroom is with them. You don't fast at a wedding feast. The wedding feast is noted by celebration. And then we talked about the Verse 21, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment or else the new piece pulls away from the old and the tear is made worse. And about the new wine being put into old wineskins, the new wine must be put into new wineskins. He's contrasting this false view that was so prevalent about works righteousness. You can't reconcile the pharisaical belief in salvation by works with the new wine, the New Testament in Christ's blood. All right, and then uh, verse 23, it happened that Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and as they went, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. Oh, naughty, 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 it's Sabbath, they are working. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Can you imagine having people... It's like that... um, What's that TV... These ridiculous TV insurance commercials? Uh, 
There's not any of them. These two commentators are watching the homeowners out there. Well, at least we can bundle our stuff in. No. Well, they're like, their yard is looking really bad. Progressive, whatever. But anyway, to be watched over like a hawk everywhere you go. They're walking through the grain fields. They snatch some grain, they put it in their mouth, and they start eating it. And the Pharisees are right there. But he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry, he and those with him? How he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priests, and also gave some to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath, remember Sabbath means rest, the Sabbath was made for man, so the rest was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath, or not man for the rest. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Now, this last Sunday, we had the, the healing of the man with dropsy on the Sabbath. So he was suffering edema, congestive heart failure. His limbs were swelling and so forth. And before Jesus does it, heals him, he puts the question to the Pharisees. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Elsewhere he says, is it, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? Um, you got to love those questions that, that trap you. Because if you say no, then you're in favor of not loving, not helping, not doing good, not saving. If you see yes, then you prove the point that Jesus, for which Jesus asked the question, that the Sabbath is about doing good, specifically God doing good. And that's why he gave us the Sabbath in the first place, the idea of rest the order of creation, we all need to rest. So I get to rest on an airplane. Hopefully I can. Brought along some heavy-duty drugs so that maybe that'll, that'll help. But in, in the creation week, there is a pattern to that week. You know, six days you shall work the seventh day. We need a day of rest. That is, that is built into us. I'm a lot more productive sometimes if I just go, for me, going home and mowing my lawn is rest. It really is, okay? Even though I'm doing something, because it's not my regular work, you know. But so we need rest for refreshment. So there, there is that. And Luther in the lar in the small catechism, in the large catechism, third commandment. Remember the Sabbath day. You shall sanctify the day of rest. Is the better translation for the third commandment. And he emphasizes the word of God. It's the only holy thing we we have. It sanctifies us. Okay, so. You've got that basic theology of the Sabbath. That's why Luther says that every day that has God's word in it is a Sabbath. And we've mentioned this before. So we're studying God's word today. It makes it a Sabbath rest for the refreshment of our souls, okay? for, the, for the awakening and strengthening of faith and with it the hope that we have in Christ. However, there is something more going on here with Jesus and his reference to Abiathar, the priest in the Old Testament, and what King David did. Now, David was king. That meant David was what over Israel? 
And you get the clue of this because he is spoken of this way throughout the Psalter and in the Old Testament record. David is king over all Israel, but it makes him, I'm being very vague intentionally to make you think about what he was. David was not a priest, but he was a shepherd, okay? He was a shepherd over the entire flock, okay? So he's shepherd of Israel. Who else would be called the shepherd of Israel? Christ. Um, so, because David is from the tribe of Judah, not from the Levitical tribe. So in the Old Testament, he's not a priest. Now, if you've been reading Hebrews the last couple weeks, there is another priest mentioned there in Hebrews. Not after the order of Levi, but Melchizedek. Yeah. Mel Melchizedek, which is the Hebrew, Melchi, king, tzedek, righteousness, king of righteousness, and Melchi, Salem, peace. peace, king of peace. It's really cool. So, um, so Chuck's mention about priest is not completely wrong, but the shepherd of Israel is from the tribe of Judah. Right? right? David descended from Judah. And who are we, who are the Old Testament children of Israel waiting for? Yeah, but David descended from Judah. Who are they waiting for? Son of David. From the tribe of Judah. That's why in the Christmas narrative, it talks about him being from Judah and son of David, and why the announcements was made of Jesus' birth first to whom? Shepherds. Shepherds. Because the shepherd of Israel is born from the tribe of Judah. Can you imagine? I mean, you're a shepherd. You're a grubby old shepherd out there tending your flock by night. You know, David was a shepherd. I take some consolation in that. I'm out here shivering in the cold, tending these sheep, but at least our greatest king was a shepherd. And so is the greatest king of all, shepherd of the house of Israel. And not only that, but this shepherd of the house of Israel trumps, I, didn't, I hope that doesn't offend you, uh, trumps the Old Testament priesthood after the order of, Melchiz after the order of Levi. Because this new priest is priest not from Levi. Remember in Hebrews this week it said, of which uh, Judah, no priest was mentioned. Because the priests in the Old Testament came from Levi. And they had to, repeated priests, because they lived, offered sacrifices, and croaked. They lived, offered sacrifices, croaked. This king is from a different tribe, the tribe of Judah. And this king is also shepherd of the house of Israel and the priest to end all priests after the order of Melchizedek, king of righteousness, and Melchizedek, king of peace. Jerusalem is the city of peace because it's the city of the great king and of the shepherd of the house of Israel from the tribe of Judah.
So what David, what David, what Jesus is doing in his reference to David, how could David get away with this? Going into the, he ate the showbread from the tabernacle. Whoa, foul! You know, you throw out the yellow flag. An instant replay doesn't help you. He really did do that. How could David do that and not be like stoned? Because Jesus says, have you not read what David did when he was in need and hungry, he and those who were with him, how he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priests, and also gave some to those who were with him. How could David do that and, not, and get away with it? John? He was the shepherd of Israel. He was the shepherd of Israel, and keep going. From the tribe of Judah, oh, yeah. and keep going. And therefore, he is, he is the type of that ultimate shepherd of Israel and that ultimate priest after the order of Melchizedek. You see, Jesus trumps the priesthood of Aaron and the Levit Levitical order. Okay? He supersedes it. He replaces it with an eternal priesthood and an eternal kingdom that will never end. So what Jesus is saying to them, yeah, I did this just like David did. You want to know why? Because I am greater than the Levitical priesthood and the Old Testament tabernacle with all of its appointments. I am the tabernacle. I am the king. I am the priest to end all priests after the order of Melchizedek. Okay? So it is a messianic testimony to who Jesus is as son of David from the tribe of Judah, the priest to end all priests after the order of Melchizedek, whose ministry and messiahship, if you want to call it that, uh, fulfilled and replaced and superseded the Old Testament stuff. Okay? Are you with me on that? You want to ask me a question? Anne! David? Yeah. Why? Well, he hungered. It says he was in need and was hungered. And he that was Do you think David and his men should have knelt there in the holy place to eat the showbread? I don't know how they did it, but they were hungry. You know, one of the greatest compliments you can pay to your mother, your late mother, you know, is when you scarf down her meal, right? I mean, your mother wouldn't be happy if you picked around in the meal. How's the meal? Oh, it's fine. She's happier if you scarf it down. Oh, ma, this was great. Okay, so I wouldn't take offense at that. The words accompanying help. The accompanying words help. Well, sure. This is great. Any other points or questions? Was, this, was that just totally as foggy as can possibly be? I hope not, because in the Old Testament, this is where Jesus said, it's recorded in John 5, you search the scriptures, for in them you think they have, you have eternal life. These are they which testify of me. So whatever David did, he had to do in some way, shape, manner, or form that testified to Jesus. 
Now, when he falls into sin, we realize he's not the real thing because of his sin. But we see then, as David is forgiven his sin, brought to contrition and repentance, the confession of the greater son of David, in whom there is no sin, but whose sacrifice redeemed the world. Yep. Yes, it, loaves of bread, but unleavened. unleavened. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's also called, I love this title, the bread of the presence of Yahweh. Now for us as Lutherans, or if you're Roman Catholic, it should resonate because we talk about the real presence of Christ's body and blood. So the bread of the presence. Okay. And the bread showed forth God's grace to Israel. You know, his grace to Israel, feeding them with manna in the wilderness. So you had the showbread, it showed forth that. And it was the bread of the presence. Okay? Presence as, not, not PR, you, you get, the, okay. The real presence. Like under the Christmas tree. There's no real presence here. <laughs> okay, any other, any other questions there? So, then when he concludes then, he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man. Remember, Sabbath means rest. So the rest that God commanded or ordered was made for Stop working. Let me work for you. Okay. And so what does Jesus do? He lets the disciples pick the grain so they can have their bellies filled but also as a testimony, hey, the bridegroom's come, the one we've been waiting for. The old order is passing away. Yes, dear, Elizabeth, you need a Band-Aid. We have Dr. Prowatsky. We have a medical doctor who can take care. She can even perform surgery on that finger. Okay. It is encouraging, right? Some parishes have... Uh, you know, parish nurses, we have a parish physician. So. Okay, so the Sabbath, the rest was made for man and not man for the rest. So that means we don't establish the rest. Isn't that great? So man is not made for the Sabbath. Man does not establish the rest. God, who gives the rest, establishes that for our benefit. Okay. No wonder. I mean, the more I hear about the Sabbath in the Bible, it used to confuse me years ago, but the more I understand the theology of the Sabbath, the more Luther's explanations just ring so true that we should not despise preaching and his word, but hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it because it is through that word and preaching that rest comes. Okay? I had someone say how much they were comforted and, and set at rest because of the sermon for all saints, or not all saints, for St. Michael and all angels, for what was happening in their life and how comforting and restful that was for them. Okay, any, any other comments here? So now, look at where we've been so far. Jesus is painted to look like Moses because he is the prophet greater than Moses. Now, he is shown by St. Mark to be 
like David because he is, only he's the greater son of David as the shepherd of Israel and the true king. All right, let's move on then into chapter 3. Healing on the Sabbath continues. He entered the synagogue again. Remember how I told you, his ministry, like that of the apostles, centered around the place, the gathering place for worship, for regular weekly worship, which was the synagogue, where the Torah was read and the prophets, and then there was preaching. And a man was there who had a withered hand, and they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. Now, remember this when we get to the so-called unpardonable sin. Then he said to the man who had the withered hand, Step forward, arise to the midst. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. So, Sunday's gospel about the man with dropsy, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, is parallel to this occasion. So, it happened more than once in the synagogue. But they kept silent. Now, the answer to the question, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? To do good is lawful. To save life or to kill life. To save life is allowable. Because that's what God does. So when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored as whole as the other. So here in verse 5, this anger of Jesus because of their hardness of heart is parallel to Psalm 2 that we went over at the beginning of, of Bible class and with prayer. Remember what I said, nothing hacks God off more than to despise the atonement of Christ. Because as I mentioned on Sunday, all of the restoration of health miracles, all of the healing miracles are a testimony to the power of the atonement of Jesus to forgive sin and with that forgiveness to restore life. Okay? So if we don't understand the fundamental problem of sin, which we can work and work and work like hell to overcome, but cannot, can only be overcome by he who endured hell in his atonement. Okay? And by the atoning sacrifice, which atoned for sin, paid for sin, took away sin, there springs forth life and resurrection. So all of the healing miracles of Jesus emanate from that fountain of new life that springs forth from the atonement of Christ on the cross. Now, you could say, but pastor, Jesus hasn't died yet. I know. What, John, what Mark is reporting to here is prior to his death. 
but it doesn't matter because the atonement of Christ in the cross is the saving work of God that gives rest and it reaches forward and backward in time. There is only one source of salvation and that is in the cross because this was planned by God from before the foundation of the world. And if that blows your mind, so be it. But the death and resurrection of Jesus is at the center of God's revelation to us and of all human history for all eternity. Okay, So the problem of sin, which we've tried to stress and we'll stress again in two weeks, I'm not preaching that Sunday, but the healing of the paralytic, we had it last week in Mark chapter 2 in the historic liturgy. We'll hear it in Matthew chapter 9, but Jesus said to him, you know, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven. And that's what they objected to. Then he said that you may know that the Son of Man has power to forgive sins, rise up and walk. Okay? The real problem is the problem of sin from which all of the other problems emanate. Now what's interesting, I like to, I like to draw your attention to the malady. When we had in Mark 2 the crippled man, he couldn't walk. We focused on paralysis. That's what sin does, right? It paralyzes us. We talked about blindness, deafness, those maladies. This guy has a withered hand. Now, I don't have a withered hand. I've got two sore shoulders. I used to have one, and I wanted the other one to have company, so then I injured that one so that I'd have a pair of sore shoulders. But what is the significance of the malady of the withered hand? And if you want to go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord of God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. These words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as frontlets on your forehead. I can't do that. That's true. I can't give the blessing. I had to raise the chalice on Sunday like this, you know. My right hand holding my, helping my left hand up. Hands. You shall bind them on your hands. They should be as front. Let's, what, are, what are hands and arms used for? Work! Work! <laughs> Who said it? Polly. Give the lady a cigar. Okay? <laughs> Because what are we talking about? Sabbath. Which, do you work or do you not work? Do you work or do you not work? This guy couldn't work. work. And there's no work that we can do that give ourselves Sabbath rest. But when God works his work in us, we are then able to work. The withered hand comes forth. Isn't that fantastic? So the maladies, you know, we just, if we don't understand that there's always theology at work in the actions of Jesus, the things that he encounters and what he does, because the maladies are there to teach, just like the saving work of Jesus is there to teach, just as what Jesus said is there to teach, just as what is recorded by the evangelists, by the antagonists of Jesus, is there to teach. See? So nothing is without significance. 
a withered hand, unable to work. But now his hand is restored and he is able to work. One of the things that causes, you know, sadness, grief, sense of loss among us is when we can no longer do the work that we once did or that God gave us to do. Okay. Then the Pharisees went out immediately and plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. <laughs> Unbelievable. So great is the hardness of heart. What are the Pharisees committing in their plot to destroy Jesus after they see him proclaimed to be the greater son of David, the shepherd of the house of Israel, the one who gives rest, who does good on the Sabbath, who saves life on the Sabbath. What are they committing in rejecting that? Sin. Their sin against the Holy Spirit, which is coming up here. Whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness. Are they, are they plotting on the Sabbath? <laughs> Touche. <laughs> oh, but that doesn't apply to us, Savannah. Right. Very good. Very good. And with the Herodians. And with the Herodians, of all people. The, the Herodians were, what's the, um, Idumean. That's where the family of Herod, they were Idumeans. Okay, did you have a question? I, well, I was just curious, uh, since you brought that up, so the Herodians were just like followers of Herod, or they were just the family members of Herod? The family members of okay. Herod, and or also loyalists. No, oh, okay. So you know, sort of like, political like, all right, come on, let me see your, let me see your MAGA hats, come on, come on. <laughs> I know there's some of you in here who got that red hat. So, there... Family, political than family and loyalists. More, the, more political than, mm -hmm. than actual, like the Pharisees were in the church and the Herodians were like out of the church, or not out of the church, but... They were part of the political establishment, yeah, okay. All right, but the Herodians are not the Romans. Right. Okay? The, the, the Romans... So are, they were Jews. Are, are true, well, they were Edomians. Okay. okay. Remember, the, the, the whole Roman Empire is made up of all kinds right. of different right. ethnicities. Right. The Romans, because of the long-standing power control of the region by the family of Herod, okay. there was an alliance. It's not dissimilar to under the Soviet Union not all of the heads of state in the satellite's country were Russian. Oh, right. Okay. Got it. Okay. So the Romans made use of the house of Herod. Okay. okay. Thank you. But then there was also the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. But mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Uh, now, I'd want to take before, because I'm going to have to leave here, verses 7 through 12. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea. And a great multitude from Galilee followed him from Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea. There's where the Idumeans, okay? And beyond the Jordan. And those from Tyre and Sidon, that's, 
that's way up here, Tyre and Sidon, present-day Lebanon. Okay. So the fame of Jesus that was, uh, that was proclaimed in good gossip spread like wildfire all over the region in all directions. And the fame included not only the miracles that he performed, but his preaching and how he interacted with the people in such a radically and fundamentally different way than the pharisaical class. Uh, and he told his disciples that a small boat should be kept ready for him because of the multitude lest they should crush him. Now, so here is where, while his regular preaching took place in the synagogues of the Jews in countless towns and villages, there were also these occasions where he was, during his period of popularity, like a rock star, you know, where people are running after him, the, pap the paparazzi, and so forth. And so, have a small boat ready, lest they should crush him. For he healed many, so that as many as had afflictions pressed about him to touch him. Now, what, what would give them the courage to touch a Jewish rabbi? They wouldn't have dared to touch a Pharisee. They wouldn't have dared to touch a scribe. What would give some of them the courage to dare to touch him? His, his compassion. It's, it's simpler. It's his compassion yet. He, he touched them. At the beginning of the ministry, he touched a leper. Can you imagine? It would be like, it would be like someone, someone took down their mask and kissed someone with COVID-19. Can you believe it? The, world, the word spreads like wildfire. The countercultural things that he does that show his compassion, that show his mercy. So it is the mercy of God fundamentally in the forgiving of sin, in reaching out to the destitute, the downtrodden, the forsaken, that causes them to have the courage to dare to trust him. Now, this is related to confession and absolution. Confession has two parts first, that we confess our sins. Second, that we receive absolution, that is forgiveness from the pastor, is from God himself. And the context there that Luther envisions in the catechism is not public confession, but private confession and absolution. Those who come to confession are often terrorized with a guilty conscience. What have I done? What have I said? What have I thought? I'm a poor, wretched sinner. No one readily wants to admit that. What gives them the courage to dare to confess? The promise of the gospel. In other words, without the promise of the gospel, of the free forgiveness and God's willingness to forgive and restore in Christ, there would be no strength to make confession. Remember the parable of the prodigal son. Had the prodigal son, when he was 
destitute in the far-off country, had lost everything, face down in the pig slop, had known his father to be an angry judge and tyrant, he never would have returned home. But it's the father's love, when he had nothing else to turn to, that reached out and grabbed him from a far-off country and drew him home to say to his father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. So this is what gives them the courage to dare to touch him. And the unclean spirits, whenever they saw him, fell down before him and cried out, saying, You're the Son of God! But he sternly warned them that they should not make him known. Good question. The, the unclean spirits. Oh, yes. yes. Oh, okay. The unclean spirits are not to, to yeah, that's who he's severely uh, warning. Do you know the passage about do not cast your pearls before swine? Well, he's the pearl. He will not have his name on the lips of those who hate his name and who by their lies and deceit try to undermine his name. That's part of it. Secondly, and perhaps more importantly, when Jesus is doing his ministry, there is to be one source of truth. They were speaking the truth, but they were not authorized to do so. He is the one source of truth. So he tells them to keep silent. It's true, on the last day, everyone will be made to confess, those in heaven and earth and under the earth, Jesus Christus Kyrios, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. But during his earthly ministry, there is an authorization for it. And the demons have no authorization to speak Jesus' word. And part of the reason is, one of the things that, what's, what's the one thing that makes demonic temptation or Satan's temptation attractive or powerful? It sounds like God. It sound, there's an element of truth. There's an element of truth. Yes, Polly. Which is not in this section, but. Swine? I don't hate him. I, I, just, I just don't think that any of this is true. How? So. <laughs> Good question. What's the response? You rely on the power of the word. Uh, you do rely on the power of the word. I mean, uh, so... There's, there's, there's kind of a, you know, Jesus says, go into the house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon them. If not, they'll say, get out of here. Then you shake the dust from your, from your feet and you move on. So 
You speak the truth in love, you confess, and then you let the proverbial chips fall where they may. In the story of John Mark himself, um, it didn't happen right away. And also, like, you would pray for that person as well, then, even though you were maybe not talking to him as much. Sure. But in this case, in my reference to that passage in this case, is we're not talking about people. We're talking about the demons who are to keep silent about this because they are undermining the position of Jesus in his public ministry that he is the one who authorizes people to speak. He is the one who shows forth who he is. He is the one who, let's use Sabbath language, does the doing. Okay. And, um, and, they had and to remember, listen, they had to listen to him. They had to not, they had to not speak. Is that not true when he commands them not to speak the, to demons? Sure. There's also, there's also, are, are, the, de- are the demons, um, is it beneath or above? Are, 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 are the demons incapable of sarcasm? Or harassment? No. no. And sometimes the greatest harassment is to speak the truth, but the way it's spoken is intended to hurt or harm. Like I could come in here today and say, hey, how about those Central Division champions, eh? <laughs> now I'm speaking the truth about the Milwaukee Brewers. They're the Central Division champs. See? Speaking the truth. But what's the intention? Yeah. <laughs> Susan. He told Peter, don't tell anyone that he is the Son of God. Yep. So it's, it was like, this is something that's not supposed to be said yet? Well, it's something not supposed to be said yet. It's also, it's, the, the reason he says something may be different depending on the context. The demons is one thing. Now, Peter, he was also not in a position yet to faithfully confess and preach it. He had to finish his seminary training, and even then it was dubious as to whether or not he'd be prepared. Okay, which brings us to the 12 apostles next, but that will be in two weeks from today. Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So remember, no class... No class next Thursday. Pastor, is somebody driving you down to the